amen. Thanks for being our guest today. If this is your first time here at Bayou City Fellowship, we could not be more thrilled that you're here. Take your Bible, turn to two places, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and John chapter 10. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and John chapter 10. We're going to talk about something that 90% of you care very little about, which is always a super awesome way to start a message. As we are going to talk about what the Bible calls elders or overseers. Those words are used interchangeably in the Gospels or in the, in the Scripture based on your translation of the, the Scripture. And if you're a guest today, you may be thinking, well, gosh, I'm deciding if this church is even any good. I sure don't care about how you might organize yourself. And maybe you're even, you know, like, I'm not even sure I believe in Jesus. I definitely don't care how this church organizes itself. And I'm like, I'm right, on, I'm right there with you. I think that's great. But this is not a message about elders or overseers. It's really a message about spiritual authority. And so we are going to talk very specifically about what that looks like here. But most of the message, or at least the, the teeth of the message, will be applicable to every single one of us. I have limited experience with a group of people called elders or overseers. I grew up in a church that really didn't have that, so that's not in my spiritual heritage. In fact, when I did hear anybody called an elder, it was usually on the news, like Elder Larry said something creepy to somebody and now is now in jail, or, you know, Elder Bob was stealing from the church and he's also in jail, or I knew that sometimes elders led cults deep in the mountains of Montana. And, uh, and so, like, that's most of my association and background with elders. And, and then when I, when I went to Bible class, college, I did meet some people who uh, were going out and being pastors in churches that had a group of people called elders in those churches, but then they would come back and it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I love my elders so much. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm not allowed to say I hate my elders, but that's the feeling that I'm conveying to you right now. I can say with complete intellectual and uh, emotional honesty, I had never heard somebody say something positive about anybody called an elder until about three years ago. Uh, so you would think we would flee that at all costs, uh, but we have this insane and crazy rule here at Bayou City Fellowship that if we see it in the scripture and God has it for us, then we're going to do it. And we see elders or overseers mentioned in the scripture. And so the last three years, but especially the last six months, we've been collecting um, stories, research, information, looking at a lot of different churches, uh, different backgrounds, different styles of churches, um, about how they organize themselves when it comes to these groups of people called elders or overseers. And what we found in that research is that some people are very, very passionate about this subject. Some of you may be also passionate about that, and you've been like, it's, I've hated this church until right now because I've been waiting for this message to happen. And, and so I affirm that, and I believe in you. Uh, but here, uh, like all things Bayou City Fellowship, we believe in balance. And balance, I think, is what we see in the scripture when it comes to a group called elders or overseers because in only six of the New Testament books is an elder or overseer mentioned in the way that we're mentioning it today and talking about it today. So most of the books of the New Testament don't talk about it at all. And you would think in a letter like First and Second Corinthians, the elders would be mentioned a lot because it was a church that was totally messed up. I mean, they had incest happening inside the church. Uh, when they would come to take the Lord's Supper, the broken body of Jesus through the bread and the 
blood of Jesus through the cup, when they would come to, to remember Jesus, they just used that as a launching pad for drunkenness and orgies. And this is, church was totally messed up. They had their spiritual gifts all out of order, just total chaos. And, and yet Paul, he never calls the elders or overseers into action. He just writes the letter to the church of God in Corinth. And, and so we see it in the scriptures and we are happy about it, but we are passionate about one thing here at Bayou City Fellowship and that is the name of Jesus. So we're passionate about Jesus. We're happy about a lot of other things and elders and overseers are included in that. Um, and that keeps us from looking at other churches and pointing fingers because as you look out into the church landscape of Houston, not every church has elders. Not every church organizes themselves in the same way. And that's because when the Bible does talk the most clear about a group called elders and overseers, it talks clearly about their qualifications, but it talks vaguely or just references what it is they actually do. And so there's a lot of interpretation left up to individual churches. But let's look at the qualifications of an elder. First Timothy chapter 3 is where we find these qualifications. We also get a few additional ones listed in Titus chapter 1. It says in First Timothy chapter 3 verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now you notice it, it uses the word he, the pronoun he. Now not every church believes that it's just he. There are a lot of churches, or at least a handful of churches, around Houston and other places in the world that believe that an elder can be a man or a woman. And they use Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, where the Apostle Paul, same person who wrote this letter, where he said, there is neither Jew nor Greek in Christ. There's either Jew uh, nor Greek, meaning in Christ, it doesn't matter if you're American or Canadian or Mexican. It's just about being in Christ. There is neither male nor female, there's neither slave nor free. And so these churches use that verse and some Bible scholars make some pretty compelling um, arguments for uh, that an elder can be either a man or a woman. And they're pretty compelling. And that, that fact that they are compelling keeps us from pointing our finger at any other church and saying, oh, look at them, they're doing it sinfully. But at the same time, Paul is writing Galatians chapter three, there's neither male nor female. He's also commissioning Timothy and Titus to appoint elders, and he uses the pronoun he. And so here at Bayou City Fellowship, we're going to use that pronoun he when we uh, go to appoint our elders. And so that is for men. But ladies, you may be like, well, man, I'm, I'm super disappointed, but I want you to know, and I think we have the track record um, to back this up, that we champion your call and um, the giftedness that God has put in you. Ladies, we believe that God has an incredible ministry for you and it can be incredibly influential and God can use it to change the world and God will use you in this church. We see that in the scripture. The, the, we see ladies leading and organizing ministry in the New Testament. We see ladies standing up in front of their church and not just talking about the Bible, but being prophets, literally saying, I have a word from God. Uh, we see ladies doing all kinds of things, and, and we believe in that, and we believe in you ladies, but when it comes to these the elders, because he uses that pronoun he, that's what we are going to do as well. And look what he's saying, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task, meaning if you are like, hey, this is something that I would be interested in, then the scripture affirms that, and we also affirm that. It is a good thing. It creates a unique problem for us here because we're going to get ready to list out these qualifications pretty quickly. And there are a lot of men who are going to 
fit inside these qualifications and totally um, be filled with integrity when it comes to them, but we can't have like 400 elders. We wouldn't get a lot of things done probably. And we would have a lot of meetings, and I hate uh, meetings. Uh, and so we're not going to have 400 elders. And so what that means is if you desire uh, to this office of an elder or overseer, the Bible says that's a good thing. Our church is saying that's a good thing. You might have to wait your turn, um, but it's a good, good thing. And then it lists out the qualifications. So let's just list them out. You can see them on the screen here. There are quite a few, so we'll go pretty fast. Number one, an elder or overseer needs to be above reproach. That means there's no expectation for an elder to be sinless, but there doesn't need to be uh, a practice in their lifestyle that could result in disgrace for him, his family, or the church. Number two, an elder should be the husband of one wife. An, An elder's commitment to his wife should not be in question. When you look at an elder or overseer, you shouldn't go, does he even love his wife? Is he kind to his wife? Does his wife enjoy being married to him? That should not be something that you think of when you think of the priority offices of the church. Number three, an elder should be sober-minded, should exhibit clear thinking, be level-headed, and think seriously about life and faith. Number four, an elder should be self-controlled. Through the power of the Spirit of God, an elder shouldn't be mastered by any sinful habit or addiction. And that's not just for elders, that's for all of us as well. Number five, an elder should be respectable. This will be the kind of man that gets respect whether they have a title or not. You know these people that you work with in your office or places that the only reason you respect them, the only reason that you honor them is just because of the title that comes behind their name. And then there are other people in our lives, even though maybe their title is is uh, inferior to ours, we hold them in high esteem because they're respectable people. And that's what it's talking about here. You shouldn't just respect an elder because they're in that group. You should respect them because they're a respectable man. Number six, an elder should be hospitable. This should go without saying, but we should like our elders here at Bayou City Fellowship. You know, if, if you are a, a butt, uh, you will not be an elder at our church. <laughs> Sorry for all the kiddos in here. But I felt like I needed to speak harshly to that. If you are a jerk, uh, stop it. And <laughs> number two, you, you won't be an elder here. Um, when our elders or overseers walk into the room, people should be like, yay, not, I'm leaving the room. You know? <laughs> number seven, an elder or overseer should be able to teach. It doesn't mean that they stand up here and they, they enjoy that and they could preach a message, although that would be great. It's can you sit down with this person and they can explain the full story of the Bible and specifically and with great passion articulate how Jesus fits in to that arc of Scripture, the life, death, resurrection, ascension, and return of Jesus. Number eight, an elder should not be a drunkard. I think that means that you shouldn't be getting drunk. Uh, you should also not be a drunkard, even if you don't want to be an elder. Just the name drunkard should not be applied to you in any way. Number one, it's weird. Number two, it's bad. Number nine, an elder should not be violent. Elders should not be a compa- combative person. I said this in the first service, and, I, and it, it should go without saying, but I, I want to say it again. Men, you should not ever be physically aggressive with your wife. Uh, or your children. 
You, you shouldn't raise your hand to them or flex at them to show your strength. That is sinful, wrong. Uh, God will judge you. God will punish you. And you need to repent if you're doing that. I know that you don't probably mean to do that. You don't wake up in the morning and say, this is how I'm going to be. It's just this rage that comes out of you. But if you are aggressive with your wife and, and, and aggressive with your children, you need to seek at, out help. For that, uh, you're probably not just going to be able to will yourself into change. And so you need to seriously seek out some help for that. And we have uh, some great uh, connections with professional Christian counselors who can walk with you through that. That would be incredibly helpful. And our elders will not be aggressive with their family, but they just won't be aggressive people in general. doesn't mean that they—we all know aggressive people who are not aggressive physically, but are aggressive emotionally, physically. They want to overpower you intellectually. When you're around them, they make you feel small and they make themselves feel big. Our elders won't be like that. And right after that, another qualification is an elder will be gentle. Number 11, an elder will be, uh, not be quarrelsome. It's not going to be a person who regularly starts or participates in arguments. An elder's first instinct should be peace. An elder, number 13, should manage his own household well, oh, I skipped one. Number 12, uh, an elder should not be a lover of money. Uh, that means an elder should not be overly consumed with making, having, or spending money. I've told you before, but uh, my son Jackson, who's eight, really struggles with this. And uh, this past week, uh, we said no to some things, some purchases that he wanted to make with his money, his magic money, which I've told you about before, that somehow grows without income. It's amazing. And we're like, no, 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 you know, you can't get that for a million different reasons. And so he came home and he started making a budget. Um, literally, he's talking about how much money he could earn doing chores. And then he was budgeting out how long it would take him to earn his own money to buy these things that we were telling him. No, so he's a big fan of money. So yesterday, he brings it up again, another thing about money. And Amanda and I were like, boom, quick on that. Because the scripture says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Like, that's just a dangerous thing. And, and you know, I make jokes about it, but that's for real. And, uh, and so we got on him quick. And we're just quoting the scripture. Buddy, that's a bad path to be on. He's like, I don't love money. I love spending spending money, you know? <laughs> and we're like, that's the only reason people love money. <laughs> Literally the only reason people love money is to spend it. And our elders won't be like that, and hopefully my son will not either. Number 13, an elder will manage his own household well. It means his whole family is respected. I've said this a lot, I think, in the last two and a half years, but here at Bayou City Fellowship, we do speak in plural personal pronouns. So when I talk, I talk about we, Amanda and I. We are a team. We are doing this together. I am the senior pastor, but everything is we. And our elders will be the same way. Our elders will be men, but we are highly, are going to highly esteem their wives. Because what we're looking for, and what I'll mention in just a second, is not just bosses or managers. We're looking for spiritual fathers and along with them, spiritual mothers. And so their whole family will be respected. Number 14, an elder must not be a recent convert. Elders' faith, faith must be mature and have weathered a test of time. Number 15, an elder will be well thought of by outsiders. It means that this is not the people in this room respect them, but when somebody at their office or their place of employment finds out, oh, they're an elder at Bayou City Fellowship, they don't go, huh, that's weird.
Number 16, we pick up a few that are listed in Titus chapter 1. An elder must not be arrogant. You're ever around people that they always give you the impression that they are never wrong? When you start a discussion with them, they are working from the premise that they are definitely right and you are most likely wrong? That kind of arrogance, that kind of overconfidence disqualifies us from being elders. Humility must be the reputation and practice of an elder. Number 17, an elder is not quick-tempered. Number 18, an elder is not greedy for gain. That's not just financial gain. That's position. That's power. That's authority. Gain is never the goal of an elder. Number 19, an elder should be a lover of good. They look for good, they pursue good, they create good through their words, attitude, and work. You know, some of us have the personality or the background or we love to, to point out what's broken. And, and for some of us, that's just juicy talk. It's just a more interesting conversation when we're talking about things that are broken than when, you know, I mean, like how much can you really talk about how, some, how awesome something is? Like, oh, that was awesome. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that was really fantastic. And then by then you're kind of like, oh, the conversation's over. But if you're like, I can't believe he did that. And oh, man, she did that. And, oh, then they did this. That's just a more interesting conversation. So many of us gravitate towards what's broken and what's wrong instead of what's good. And the, the dangerous thing about that is when things are good, those of us who have that personality... We will seek out what's broken. And if nothing is broken, we'll just give everybody the impression that it's broken. Or we'll nitpick until we find something wrong. And our elders aren't going to do that because they're going to be lovers of good. They're going to want to be around things that are good. They're going to want to create things that are good. And they're not going to enjoy what's broken. Number 20, an elder should be upright. It means that their life is going to conform to the will of God as revealed in the Scripture. Number 21, an elder will be holy. The character of Jesus is seen in their character. Number 22, an elder is going to be disciplined. An elder lives a well-ordered life. He is not lazy in his work, his home, or his faith. And number 23, an elder will hold firm to the trustworthy word as it's taught. An elder is going to have a disciple's mentality. They're going to be passionate about Jesus. They're going to be excited to be continually learning the life of faith. They're it's not that they're going to get to this place and this office of an overseer elder and be like, I'm, I've arrived. Now my job is just to help everybody else get to where I am. No, they know that they're always going to be seeking. They're going to have that seeking mentality and they're going to hold fast to the scripture and seeking out the truth in scripture. But as I said, there are a, a tremendous amount of men in our church who are qualified for all those things. But we're not going to stop there. Because you can imagine, again, we're not looking for managers. We're not looking for bosses. We're not looking for people who just want to tell other people what to do. We are looking to raise up spiritual fathers and along with them spiritual mothers. And so you can imagine a widow. She has two little kids She's uh, been a widow for a few years and she's just looking out and she desires to have that relationship again. And so she kind of puts herself back out on the market, signs up online, match.com, eMingle, Harmony, 
you know, I can't remember them. They work, though. A lot of people in our church have been met their spouses through that. And so she's out there. She's co-workers are trying to set her up. And she's, she starts kind of dating again, getting to know some men. You know, she's going to have a few, like, right off the back qualifications. Number one, do you have a job? Right? Like, are you a bum is in parentheses. Number two, are you an axe murderer? You know, I'm thinking that that's really what she's going to want to know first when she's sitting across the table from this guy at some fancy restaurant. Are you going to be able to pay for this meal? And am I going to live through this meal? Right? That's (laughs) not murdering each other is the first question I ask when I do premarital counseling. You know, like, do you anticipate this woman murdering you in your sleep? Because if you do, let's, let's work it out right now. What's early before you get in there and get committed. So there's going to be some basic, right off the bat questions. But then really what will make or break whether or not that relationship goes forward with that widow and this man is not those simple questions. It's her thinking about her kids. And she's going to ask questions like, not is he a good man because he probably is. Not does he have a job. He probably does. Not is he going to be safe. He probably is. But will he fit in with our family? Does he carry the DNA and the personality of what I want our family to be like? Those are the questions that are going to determine whether or not that relationship goes on. And again, because we're not just raising up managers and bosses and uh, you know, people to, to make rules. We're raising up spiritual fathers and mothers. We want our spiritual fathers as elders and the wives that come along with them to carry the personality and DNA of our church. So that when you look at our life, not only do you see Christ, but you see the, the personality and the heart of Bayou City Fellowship coming out of them. And so we have some cultural priorities as well. And Amanda and I try to live by these priorities. And our, our team of pastors try to live by these priorities. And so I just wanted to share them with you. Number one, and, and these will be true of our elders or our overseers. I love Bayou City Fellowship and gladly choose it as my church family. Now, you think that would be pretty obvious, uh, you know, that if uh, you're going to be an elder, you're, you're going to want to like our church. But you, you'd be amazed about how many people come to this church that I'm pretty sure do not like it. Based on some of the emails, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they hate it. And uh, I don't get it because, you know, we, I don't remember showing up to anybody's house this morning and going, like, get in the car. You're coming to church with me. Uh, so it doesn't make sense to me why people would come here who don't like it, unless you're like a teenager or a child or something. But there are grown adults who do not like our church and yet are here all the time. Bless them, not going to be an elder. So first requirement of being an elder at our church is you have to at least like our church. I think we're all clear on that. Number two, I mean what I say. You know, we talk about Jesus here. We talk about a lot of religious stuff here. And I would hate if uh, somebody came as our guest or your guest one Sunday and they heard us saying all these religious things and they could not tell if we really meant it. Because I mean it. When we talk about being for Jesus, we are for Jesus. And I am for Jesus and Amanda is for Jesus and our family is for Jesus and our team of pastors are for Jesus and that's real. And our elders are gonna say those same things but it needs to be convincing. They need to mean what they say, all of us do. Number three, I honor those who lead us without expecting them to be infallible. 
I will raise the temperature of faith and joy in every room I'm in. I will boldly speak wisdom as the Spirit leads me. I understand that encouragement builds trust and trust earns influence. I will be trustworthy with someone else's reputation. This is so important to us, again, because spiritual father as an elder, but the mother that comes along with it. You know, think about how many people in your life you really trust them wholly to hold your reputation. Can you count them on one hand? You know, sometimes, you know, uh, the pastor, so every, you know, all the weird stuff floats to the top and, and then it'd be like, well, I was talking about you with somebody else at lunch. And I want to be like, listen, I don't talk about you when I go to lunch with people. I don't understand why you have to talk about me. You know, I don't get it. That's weird. Uh, and, but it makes all the difference. And really, honestly, you don't mind when you trust that person to hold your reputation. Listen, even if you're guilty and they may hold your reputation in high esteem over that conversation. And then maybe the first thing they do is go, hey, man, did, did you do this? Did you say this? What's up with that? That would be a good friend. But we need to, to be able to trust the elders and overseers when we share our lives with them, that they're going to hold our reputations in high esteem, that they won't delight in our failure and they won't spread our weaknesses. And the thing is, is that none of us mean to start out like that. Every piece of gossip has always started with, you got to promise not to say anything, but. So we will be trustworthy with someone else's reputation. Number eight, I will discuss when it's time to discuss and I will act when it's time to act. We believe in getting things done here at Bayou City Fellowship. and uh, We love philosophy, but we are not philosophers. Philosophy is great. And if you're a philosopher, like we love you, but we are not people of theory. We are people of action here. And we wanna get as many things done in Jesus' name as possible with the little bit of time that we have. I don't want to stand before God and give an account for my life. And he has a list of all the things that he had for me and was calling me to do. And I've been like, I, had some, I wrote some amazing papers on that. And I read some amazing articles on that. I didn't actually do that, but I had a lot of great conversations about it. No, we're going to be people who get some things done. Number nine, I will strive for more than the bare minimum. Number 10, I will work hard. I will work smart and I will work happy. Number 11, I will be winsome and enjoyable to be around. So we have our biblical qualification. These are our cultural priorities of how we're going to operate here at Bayou City Fellowship. But let's talk about what's really applicable to all of us. Let's talk about spiritual authority. John chapter 10, because spiritual authority is applicable to every single person in this room. See, everybody should have people that you are looking to. And everybody should have people who are looking to you. It's both. Amanda and I have a few relationships around the country here in Texas that if we got a phone call or a text message today or an email today that said, I want to talk to you, we would be on the plane this afternoon. Everybody needs relationships where you say yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. Every, no, ma'am. No, everybody needs a covering. And everybody needs to be a covering. And it's both. You may be a, a spiritual authority over the children in your home right now. You may be a spiritual authority in your office because you are the most seasoned and mature believer. 
You may have spiritual authority uh, in your community group because you're in a place of leadership there. You may lead a team somewhere and everybody looks to you. And it's not just practical responsibility, it's spiritual responsibility. And these things are practical for everybody. And Jesus is the one who said it and he's the ultimate and spiritual authority. So four quick things and then we'll get out of here. Four really quick things, I promise. Uh, Somebody wasted all our time this morning. I'm not sure who that was. I'll get to the bottom of it this week. Uh, Number one, spiritual authority is spiritual. Spiritual authority is spiritual. In John chapter 10, Jesus is talking about being a good shepherd. And it says in verse 6, This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. As you go back and read it later on, you can see that he's talking spiritually, but they're not understanding it spiritually. If we, again, if we had time, in Numbers chapter 11, it tells a story of, of Moses. And, and Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt from slavery. And you would think that once they got out of slavery, they would get into the wilderness where they are on the way to the land of promise. And they would just be so thrilled because they can remember that they were slaves. And yes, they're in the desert, but at least they're not slaves. And that they'd be really grateful and they'd be a really easy people to, live, to, to lead, but they weren't. In fact, in Numbers chapter 11, literally Moses is having a breakdown, a mental breakdown. And he says to God, God, if this is going to be the way that it is from now on with these people being so high maintenance and complaining and complaining and complaining and complaining, I just want to die. I would rather die than lead this unhappy people any longer. And so there in Numbers chapter 11 is the first time that we see God saying, I want you to call the elders and I want you to bring them together. And it says that he's, God is going to take a portion of the spirit that's on Moses and he's going to give it to these elders and the elders are going to help lead the people of Israel to make Moses' job a little bit easier. But Moses got into the same trap that many churches fall into, which is the goal of life. The goal of church is to keep everyone happy. But listen, can you keep everybody in your house happy? Can you keep everyone in your house totally satisfied and grateful? No, I can't keep myself satisfied and grateful. I definitely can't make Amanda be satisfied and grateful. And for sure, I have no hope of keeping my children satisfied and grateful. So here we are all coming together in church, not able to make everyone in our homes happy, just coming together Sunday after Sunday as a very unsatisfied and unhappy people. And then Moses doesn't just have a whole church. He has a whole nation, a whole people. But what happens When we fall into that trap of my life and my spiritual authority exists to keep people happy, is we end up turning to practical methods instead of spiritual methods because you can't use spiritual methods to accomplish goals that God is not interested in. And God has never set forward a goal for us as a church or as people or as spiritual authority to make every person happy and satisfied all the time. It's impossible, so he hasn't called us to that impossible task. But many leaders, spiritual authorities, turn to the practical methods and they abandon the spiritual methods because you can't accomplish a goal that's not from God with spiritual methods. But spiritual authority is spiritual. See, our elders, they're not going to be a board of directors. We're not going to make political decisions. We're not going to be like, oh, this guy, he has influence on this circle over here. And 
So let's bring him in because if we bring him in, then we got this whole circle or we got this one guy. He sits in the back and he kind of controls the back and he's like the, the mafia of the back of the church. And, and let's like get him in because he's got all these community groups in his pocket and it'd be fantastic. Or this guy, he's a very successful in his bit. We're not making any of those decisions. Our elders will be uh, when it's time to worship, not always, but regularly, they'll be the ones with their hands in there. When the gathering of prayer is announced, they're not the ones that you have to email and go, hey, will you please come? It's like, I'm the first one there. I'm glad to be there. One of the filters that I have as we begin this process is if I got a diagnosis and I had the faith to be healed, doesn't mean that God is going to heal me, but if I had the faith to be healed, would I call them to pray for me? Would I want their faith in the mix when I needed it? Because spiritual authority is spiritual. Number two, spiritual authority is given, not taken. Verse four through five talks about the sheep hearing the voice of the shepherd. It says, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Sometimes when I come home from work, I want to be loved and embraced by my family, especially my kids, you know, that big, welcome home, dad, we love you. Thank you for working so hard, you know. But my kids are kind of stingy with their love and affection sometimes, especially Annabeth, who's like a firecracker with flesh wrapped around her right now. And, and so... If, if I say to them, especially her, like, hey, come over here and give me a hug right now. Give me a hug. Like, I have to use my dad voice to get it. Like, get over here and give me a hug right now. Or, but I don't want to do that because I don't want to command my children to show me affection. But what I figured out is if I will walk in the door of my house, walk into the living room where they usually are and be like, do not touch me. I do not want to talk to you. I do not want any hugs from you. I do not want any kisses from you. I want you to sit in that seat over there and not in this seat right over here. Within a nanosecond, they're right on me. Then they got their, you know, bony hips putting in mine and both of them are on me. And I'll be like, don't you kiss me. Don't you kiss me right here. I'm all scratchy. Don't you kiss me. And sure enough, mm. why do children do that? Why does reverse psychology work on them? Well, it works on them the same way it works on us. Because none of us want to be told what to do. And some of us even, as we've been talking about spiritual authority, you've been like, I ain't, I ain't submitting to no spiritual authority. I'm a grown man. I'm a grown woman. I don't need any shield around me. You can't tell me what to do. And I want to say right on. You're with the scripture. The sheep, they know the voice of the people that they're willing to follow. And hopefully that will be true about any person who is a leader here. That's my shepherd's voice. And if he says we're running through that wall, and we're running through that wall. I'm gonna go, because I trust that voice. Oh, I've heard the other voices of people who wish they had authority, of people who wish they were in control, but that's, um, that's not a voice I trust. Spiritual authority is, is given, it's not taken. And number three, spiritual authority is about leading, not controlling. Chapter 10, or verse 10 or chapter 10, excuse me, verse three. To him, the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
this past week when we were at the beach, we were wanted to do one of those sweet family photos, you know, there by the water, like very picturesque. And taking a picture with children is, you know, pretty difficult. And, and so we're trying to get them all under control and getting everybody there in line. And, and so the picture gets taken. And when we look at it, there's Annabeth, she's five, and she's doing like this awesome, like, I just did a dance and finished it move, you know, like this full on happy and just taking up the whole picture. And the three of us, me, Amanda, Jackson, are all staring at her in the picture. It, it's, it's very funny. It's not one that's going to work and be framed at our house because we only want to frame the perfect ones, right? I think there's a real temptation for those of us who have spiritual authority, whether it's a lot of authority or little, to fall into the trap of our goal is for it to be perfect. And we want it to be perfect. And so we, we try to freeze a moment. We, we build fences. And I think a lot of churches that I've been a part of do this. It's like, come here, be like this. This is what the Bible says, be like this. We're gonna build a fence. And, you're, and my job is to get you in the fence. You ever been to a church? Hopefully, maybe it's this church. And you come here and you already know that you walked in and they have a goal for you. They're at point Z with you. And you're at like, you're not even at point A. They don't know your story. They don't know your background. They don't know uh, how God has gifted you, what he's made you passionate about. They just want to put you in the machine and the machine's going to spit you out and make you just the way that you want to be. We don't see that with Jesus. Jesus doesn't bring people into the fence. The Bible says he leads the sheep out of the fence. The key word for spiritual authority is, is not control, it's release. This is what spiritual fathers and mothers do. They release people in the same way that physical fathers and mothers do. You don't try to control your children all the days of their life. You raise them so that they can be released from your home. And we want you to be released in Jesus' name. He has made you and he has called you. And we want to see you be all that he's made you to be and do all that he's called you to do. And so we're going to release you. Now that's bad news for a lot of us because some of us crave efficiency and this is super inefficient. It takes a long time to see somebody walk in their calling, like Moses is going to be the deliverer of the people of Israel. And for 40 years, he was a nobody, tending sheep and goats. But we're not building a machine here at Bayou City Fellowship. We're building people. We're not just trying to stir up, create robots trying to stir up and create faith. And it's inefficient, but it's beautiful when it happens. And our spiritual fathers and the mothers that come along with them are gonna lead and not control. And then the last thing, spiritual authority goes to the servant. Jesus says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And he says in verse 17, for this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Beware of someone who is only happy when they have ascended to the highest place. Let others lift you up. That's what we see with Jesus. Jesus descended, son of God, eternally in heaven, at the right hand of God. And out of love, he descends down to earth and serves 
Mark chapter 10 says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He descended, he got as low as possible and others lifted him up. God lifted him up and gave him a place of honor. And when you descend, when you take the place of a servant, God will lift you up. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, the scripture says, and he will lift you up. You worry about descending and God will do the lifting. But if you are going to have spiritual authority, whether a lot or a little, know this, that other men lifted up Jesus. And it was painful for him. It cost him dearly. For those of us who would desire a good thing to have spiritual authority affirmed by the scripture and affirmed by us those with the most influence bear the most pain and this is the gospel that the most influential person who has ever walked on this planet didn't just take the pain of nails and thorns. He took the pain of my sin and shame and yours too. And he became the servant to all. And so anyone who has spiritual authority in this house will be a servant. So we're not scanning the horizon for those who have floated to the top of Bayou City Fellowship. Our eyes are on the bottom who has descended, who has become a servant to all, just like Jesus. Maybe today you've heard the voice of the, the good shepherd for the first time. And in your soul, you go, that's a voice I wanna follow. The voice of Jesus deep in my soul. Maybe you've been resisting. Maybe you've been looking to other shepherds. Maybe you've been trying to just go at it alone. But today, you know, I am ready to believe in Jesus. As we leave today, our prayer ministry team, as everybody's funneling out, they'll be up here in the front as you leave. Let's go against the flow and come and let them know, I am ready to follow Jesus. I've heard his voice and I'm ready. They'll know exactly what you're talking about. You won't need to unpack your story or try to put words to it. And you can leave today knowing you are shepherded by the good shepherd. Father, we thank you for every provision we thank you for the gospel that you descended to the lowest place and there you've seen our needs you're able to sympathize with us you understand what it's like to be us you understand our joys and our pain so with that knowledge would you lead us would you lead us out today would you shepherd us we gladly come underneath your authority followers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, we're going to take our offering now. So if our ushers would come and take their places and begin to pass the offering, we bless it in Jesus' name. We're so thankful for your generosity.